two weeks ago, we introduced the theme set apart as we looked at um, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And it was about when the uh, early church, Antioch, set apart the first two missionaries. It was Saul and Barnabas, and they were to go and to take the message uh, to the rest of the world to, to, begin that, to begin that journey. And then we had our global impact celebration as we built on that theme. And in thinking about where to go next in our preaching, what I thought is, well, let's just walk through that journey, that very first journey and where we had Saul and Barnabas together, and they began to take this first what we call missionary journey over chapters 13 and 14. But I don't want you to see this as a history lesson. What I want you to see is that what took place in this journey is exactly what takes place in our world today. And just as they were set apart to be missionaries, we are set apart to be missionaries, every one of us, no matter what our call in life is, no matter what branch of the military we're a part of, we are called as believers to be missionaries. And I want you to, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, they have already prayed, fasted, getting ready to send them off, and look what happens. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, right here. If you could look, and my hand right here is where Antioch is. Then with Antioch, there is about 15 miles from Antioch, a harbor town, a port town called Seleucia. And then they traveled by boat to an island of Cyprus. It's about 90 miles long. And they came, and they came to Cyprus. Interesting. Does anybody remember who was from Cyprus that was in that group? Barnabas, exactly right. Barnabas was a native of Cyprus, and so the very first place they went to is his native land. And so as they went there, it says they landed, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They came to Salamis. Now, Salamis was a port right there on the northwest side of the island. So they sailed over here, they get to Salamis, and as soon as they get to Salamis, which is the largest city in Cyprus, they began preaching in the synagogues. They started a, they set a precedent, and that is that every city they would go into, they would start out and go to reach the Jews, and they would share the gospel with them, and they would go to the synagogue. And it's plural, which means there must have been a flourishing community because they had a number of synagogues there. And they went, and they preached the word. And it says, and they had John to assist them. His name is John Mark. You'll learn more about him later on, but he was related to Barnabas, and he turns out that he's the Mark that wrote the gospel, the book of Mark. So he is there to assist him. Verse 6, and when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, okay, they've gone on a preaching tour throughout the whole island, and they went from the south west corner, southeast, northeast corner here, all the way over to the southwest corner, and they came to a city called Paphos. So they went 90 miles and they preached the gospel constantly until they got to Paphos. Now you get to Paphos and Paphos is the capital city. It's, um, it's where, the, uh, where the ruler would be living and where their government was. And so they're in Paphos. Now as they're in Paphos, there's something you need to also understand. This is the city that they believed that the goddess Venus was born. And Venus was the goddess of love. 
And so it's a city where there's government, and then it's also, it's a city where they believe that the goddess of love was born. So it's a city that's full of prominence and also swimming in sensuality. And so this is where they are, and this is where they are, are preaching. And as they go into this city, you're introduced to two men. At the end of verse 6, it says, They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, when you ever see the word Bar, it means son of. So there was a magician, a false prophet who was of Jewish heritage, who was called Bar-Jesus, which is son of Jesus. Now, that's not Jesus of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was a name that was a common name, and that just meant that his father was named Jesus, or some trans translated could be his father could be named Joshua. So he was the, the son of Jesus. And it said, and he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from his faith. So you have two different men. You've got this Bar Jesus, who's also called Elymas. He's a magician. He is a kind of like a fortune teller, a mystic guy. He's into astrology and all this other stuff. And then you've got Sergius Paulus. Now, Cyprus was a province of Rome. Rome owned them. But they were controlled by the Roman Senate. And when the Senate controls them, it means that they appoint the administrator to rule that little area. And they appointed Sergius Paulus. He is the proconsul. We may call him, he's like the governor of, of Cyprus. Well, in this position as proconsul, it says that he was a very intelligent man. So you have a man who is very intelligent, but at the same time, he's got a magician on his staff. Now you're trying to figure this out, okay? I've got a magician on my staff, but yet they call me a pretty intelligent guy. The Romans had a lot of respect for the Jews because they felt that the Jews were very religious people and that they had these gifts of divination that they could sort of figure out what the spirits were saying. So they always felt it was handy to have one alongside. And especially when you get one like Elamus, who was a false prophet, who was pretty well getting into all these other mystical things. And so he's got intelligence on one end and he's, he's got superstition on the other hand. And he heard about Paul and Barnabas as they were sharing this message. And as they were sharing this message, he summoned them to come and share it with him. I want you to talk to me about the Word of God. This is what you've been sharing throughout the island. So when he does this, you move into verse 9. And verse 9 says here, but Saul, who was also called Paul, I got to stop right here for just a moment. Saul, who's also called Paul. Now, if you remember, as you, first time we were introduced to Saul, uh, he was threatening the church. He was trying to kill the church. All of a sudden, he came down Damascus Road. He had an experience with God, and God says, Saul, I'm going to use you to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, you start flipping through the pages, and he changes his name from Saul to Paul. What's the deal with that? You know, I kind of, I, I kind of laughed. Um, you know, I've, I've got some fraternity brothers that have changed their name. And, you know, I understand some guy used to be Ricky. Now he wants to be Rick. And, uh, I've got one guy who's an actor, uh, Michael Wilson. He's now Michael O'Neill. And, uh, his best friend 
There's a guy who used to be named Mike, and now he goes by, I think, Preston. I said, what is it with you guys? Y'all just kind of change your name. What is this? And uh, over here, they said, okay, Paul. Does he just think Paul sounds better than Saul? Does he like P's better than S's? So why, why change the name? couple different reasons here, and just stay with me. This is where you'll have this, and one day during your sitting at Starbucks or Panera, somebody will ask you this question, you'll be prepared to answer it. Are you ready? In Jewish culture, oftentimes you would have two names. You would have your name, a Jewish name that you would use within your community. For him, it was the name Saul. Saul, powerful warrior, first king of Israel. It's a great name to have. Outside that community, you would many times have a Greco-Roman name, and for him, that would be Paul. Also, Roman citizens. Roman citizens had three names. I'm just going to share this because I'm, I'm so thrilled because I know you'll want to know this. Praenomen, nomen, and cognomen. All of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's three names. Not like first, middle, last. It's just three names. A praenomen, a nomen, and a cognomen. And most of them would go by their last of those three names. How many of you ever heard of Caesar? Raise your hand. Okay. How many have heard of Julius Caesar? Raise your hand. Okay. How many have heard of Gaius Julius Caesar? Raise your hand. Just a few. That's his name, Gaius Julius Caesar, but he went by Caesar. Everybody called him Caesar. Paul has got something, something Paul, and he said, I'm just going to go by Paul. You got that? It's incredible. Okay. You're ready for the week? I'm going to contact some of you in a random drawing, and I'm going to ask you. I may even contact you all, and I'll say, cognomen is what? But that's it, Paul. And so the reason he made that change is he was called to go into the Gentile world. He was called to go into that Greco-Roman world. And so he says, I'm going with the name Paul because I'm, these are the people I'm going to be reaching and I'm going to be ministering to. So they change his name right here, but something else you will see from this point forward. Everywhere you read in Scripture from this point forward, it is no longer something and Paul. It's always Paul and someone. He just took over status, and he's the leader. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and companions, Paul and Silas. He's the leader. Okay? Verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, at this false prophet, and he said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's what we call kind of getting in your face, okay? You know when people say he got all up in him? He did. He got all up in him. And it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was not Paul. This is like God speaking through him. It's the Holy Spirit telling him to say this. And he says, you know, your name says son of Jesus, but actually you're the son of the devil. And he's over here saying, you're an enemy of all righteousness. And that's a, God's attribute is that he is a righteous God and you're an enemy of everything that he is. And what you are doing, he says, you are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. You're perverting this gospel. How long are you going to do this? And then verse 11 and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. At that moment, he says, you're going to be blind for a time from this point forward. And it says a mist and a darkness came over, and he couldn't see. 
There's some of you right now that say, I wish I could do that. Aren't you? In your honest moments, in your honest moments, you say, whoa, it would be powerful to do that. Well, in this particular case, filling of the Holy Spirit, boom, he did that to this man. And so for a time, he couldn't see. He says, you are diverting and perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's got to stop right now. Well, verse 12, then the pro-council believed. I remember the first time I read that. I said, duh. Yeah, he, he believed. This sorcerer just got struck and blind. But that's not it. You got to read the whole verse. He says, then the pro-council believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want you to hear this clearly. He did not believe the gospel because he saw this sorcerer get blind. He believed the gospel because it says here he was astonished over the teaching. When they had talked to him about the teaching, that word astonished means he was impressed with the gospel. One translation says he was shaken to his core when he heard the teaching of the gospel. All the miracle did was it just sort of opened his heart. And when it opened his heart, then from that point forward, he says, I'm ready to listen even more to what this gospel is. And it said he believed and he made that decision for Christ. You know, I thought about this man, Sergius Paulus, and I thought about our culture today. And I said, this is a wonderful picture of our society and our culture today. We have a culture today of intelligent people that are seeking truth just as he was seeking truth. And we are a culture that's wrapped up in sensuality. We're a culture that is wrapped up in seeking all type of things out there. It may be religion. It may be things that are mystical. It may be astrology. It may be your horoscope. It may be some new age ideas. But people are looking everywhere to try to find truth and meaning in life, just as this Sergius Paulus was doing. And in this search... Most of these people have no idea what Christianity teaches and have no idea who Jesus Christ is. Now, I know for us in Vestavia Hills, uh, brought up in, many of us brought up in the church, we cannot fathom that. But if you just go outside the walls of these churches, you don't have to walk very far, you will see people that have absolutely no idea what Christianity is all about, who have no idea who Jesus is besides being a cuss word. They have no idea what it's all about. And that is like Sergius Paulus. Do you realize that he was the first Gentile convert who had absolutely no background in Judaism? This is the first one. So what about Cornelius in chapter 10? He was a God-fearer. He was already familiar with those things. But not this man. This man was as lost as could be. He had absolutely no understanding. He heard the word of God. He made his decision, and he believed. And it's a lot like where we are today in our culture. If you don't walk out with anything else, this is what I'd love for you to know. There is hope for our world. There's hope for our world. Because what our world is looking for is for us to understand that we are set apart to tell others about who Jesus is. And people will come to know Christ as Savior. People will come to be saved. So what do we need to do? What do you need to do today? Because you're here today at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. What are you first steps to take. These were the first steps that were taken onto this journey. What are the first step requirements? Let me tell you what they are. Number one, first is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The very first thing is that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that when you receive Christ as Savior, you get an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. From the moment you ask Christ to come into your heart, when I was an eight-year-old boy and I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart, at that moment, his Holy Spirit entered into my heart. We all have an indwelling if we receive Christ as Savior, but then we also need to have an infilling, and that is daily. Daily, we need to be filled with God's Spirit. And when you look at this group that was set apart, these two men who were set apart, it says in the first part of chapter 13, they were praying and they were fasting. And when you pray and you fast, God's spirit gets a hold of your life. And so there was that filling of the spirit. And then they sent them off. And then in verse nine, before Paul pronounced that judgment on that man, you know what he said? He said, Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so being filled with the Spirit is what gives you a boldness, an outspokenness, and a power. And all of that comes from God. And you have got to be walking with the Lord, counting on his provision, on his care, on his power. But there needs to be a filling of the Holy Spirit. And folks, that is every one of us' responsibility. Say, Lord, I want you to fill me with your Spirit. But second of all is to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit. You know, these people... Paul and Barnabas, they didn't strike out on this mission on their own. They didn't do this just because the church says, we think this is a good idea. They didn't go over there because they said, we feel called to missions. Do you know the reason they did this? It says the Holy Spirit set them apart. And in verse 4, it says that they were led by the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to make a difference, if we're truly going to be set apart to make an impact on this world, we need to first of all be filled with the Holy Spirit and then be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't just go off of what we think is most practical or we just don't go because this is what my father did or my mom did or this isn't the path that this person took. I take the path that is led by the Holy Spirit. And you've got to be filled with the Spirit and be sensitive to His leadership. You you know, we had one of the one of the um, most theological sound songs I ever heard growing up was you got to move when the Spirit says move. You remember singing that? Got to move when the Spirit says move. You know, and you got to shout when the Spirit says shout, all those things. And we laugh, we'd sing those as kids. A lot of truth in that. You got to move when the Spirit says move. And if you're filled with God's Spirit, then what God's Spirit will do is then he will give you a guidance and a direction and then he will lead you to the next step that you're supposed to take. And for these men, they prayed, they fasted, and they said, set apart these two men. Okay, then they prayed and fasted some more. And then it says, then he led them. And where are we going? We're going to Cyprus. Why are we going to Cyprus? I've got people there that you need to share. And as they get all the way to Paphos, boom, I can understand. This is amazing what is taking place right over here with Sergius Paulus. Number three, you practice the word of God. You be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit, and then you practice the Word of God. You practice the Word of God. You live it out. There is no way you can be filled with the Spirit of God without obeying the Word of God. And in verse 9, Paul was so empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is because he was practicing the Word of God. He was living out exactly what he was proclaiming. And what this means to you and to me 
is that if we want to reach our world, if you want to reach your school, if you want to reach your neighborhood, if you want to reach your office, what you need to do and what I need to do is we need to practice the Word of God. You need to live out what is in this book. When we preach this gospel, we need to live out this gospel. And when this gospel talks about that we are to be humble and we're to have a servant spirit, then have humility and have a servant spirit. When it says that you're to serve one another, when it says that we are to love one another, when it says that we are to abstain from all sexual immorality, when it says these things, these are the things that we are to do. We are to practice what God's word says. When it says that you're to be honest in all of your dealings and be honest in all of your dealings. When God's word says that we are to be pure, we are to be righteous, then let us live a life of purity and righteousness. You practice the word. And so when we are set apart, it means God says, I have set you apart for something special. And so you need to practice the word. But when you practice the word, then that comes to the final thing, and that is you proclaim the word. And so we practice the word, and then we proclaim the word. One commentator writing on this passage says, the gospel is indeed the only way to salvation. Thus, our task becomes as urgent as it was to Paul. Rather than view evangelism as merely exchanging views among people of different ideologies, we should view the gospel as holding the key to eternal salvation. We hold the key to eternal salvation. Listen, I'm not telling us to get a Bible, hit somebody over the head. I'm not telling you to stuff some track down somebody's throat. But what I am telling you is when we sit down and we begin to discuss different ideologies, there needs to be an urgency there. Because we're not just talking about, hey, I think this will help you to have a better life while you're here on earth. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about what will happen when you breathe your last breath on earth. Where will you spend eternity? And if you truly believe what God's word says, it says there's only two options. You'll either spend eternity with God in heaven, glorifying him, worshiping him. Or you'll spend eternity in hell separated from him experiencing horrors you don't even want to imagine. So it's dealing with eternity. It's not just how you're going to feel good. How are you going to make it through your next day? How am I going to best uh, handle the, uh, the work as an athlete or handle my work in the job? It's more than that. It's eternity is in the balance. And he says there needs to be that urgency. And that's what you'll see with Paul and Barnabas. There was an urgency to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But you need to practice the word and proclaim the word. Now, I think some of you will remember this. Ted Trailer Wednesday night, when he spoke, he says there were two things over here on there. Do you remember what they were? Good news, good works. Good news, good works. That's, that's what evangelism is. You hear the good news, you do the good works. Exactly what I'm saying. You practice the word. You live out the word. And when you live out the word, then you also proclaim God's word. Now, when you do that, these will be the first step responses. You'll get two responses. Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit will be manifested. The power of the Holy Spirit will be manifested. I got to tell you, in verse 11, that was quite a miracle. To be able to stand right in front of someone and say, you have been perverting the gospel. Put your hand on him and say, you're not going to be able to see for quite a while. And then it happened. Whoa. That's a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, a lot of you, when you see that, you're saying, well, sure, Danny. (laughs) If I could call blindness to come down on someone, I'd be pretty powerful in my preaching too. I think my audience would be pretty captive. 
Let's see, bring someone up here right now. No, you know, you'd say, I'd be pretty, I think everybody would want, to, would want to listen to me. Listen, let me tell you, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit being manifested, the power of the Holy Spirit is being manifested every day, doing miracles in lives every day. I mean, Michael just brought up Ken Logan. Ken Logan is a walking miracle. And what's so great about him is when you sit and talk to Ken, he is thanking God for putting him in this position to go through these cancer treatments because he's having an opportunity to be a witness to the doctors and the nurses that are working with him. Now, now what, what kind of view is that? That's incredible. And that's a miracle that is happening in his life. You say, well, I think a miracle is if he gets totally healed. No, not really. If God totally heals him, praise God. We're praying for that. But as he's walking through He is making impact on so many people's lives. And the sad commentary is that Ken Logan at 87 is making a stronger impact in lives than many of us who are in great health. There are miracles going on. The prayer tab. When you fill out that tab, you you write down those prayer requests. I read every one of those. I get them. They come to my office first. I read through them. Then we distribute for others to pray through. And there are some difficult situations that are happening in people's lives and in their families. And I, I, at times, almost, I'm weeping at times when I read through these. But every so often, there's a check on a praise, and they list what God has done. It's incredible. It's a miracle. It's a, the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. It is when a marriage has fallen apart and it gets restored again. That's a miracle. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when there's a relationship that has been fractured and broken apart. And yet now all of a sudden it's repaired because, because people on both ends of it have softened their hearts and God has gotten a hold of both of them. And now all of a sudden you see a friendship that's, that's there again. You see the power of the Holy Spirit manifested when someone has the power to say no to the things that are the strongholds of this world that would hold their life down and would capture them and ruin their life. When it's the power of the Holy Spirit when it's able to break an addiction that has been, been putting that stranglehold on you and, and only through God's power is it able to be broken. And you look and you say, that person is a miracle. It's a miracle what God's done over there. It's a miracle when God steps in and does a physical healing to someone's life, and we praise God for that. It's a miracle when someone who has grown up and been steeped in prejudice, all of a sudden God gets a hold of their heart and breaks their heart, and they've overcome prejudice. I mean, these are manifestations of God's Spirit. To me, it's an amazing manifestation of God's Spirit, when of God's power and Spirit when in your job, you get some bad news, and the way you handle it, everyone else is looking around saying, wow, that's unbelievable. Or something happens at school, or you get the bad report from the doctor, and you're able to respond in a God-honoring way. I mean, that's, that is the power of the Holy Spirit being manifested. Listen, I want you to understand, change lives draw attention. Change lives draw attention. And the power of the Holy Spirit is being manifested in individual lives. And when individual lives get changed, people will notice. Let me tell you this. You do not need a false prophet to be blinded for people to sit up and listen to the gospel. What they need to see is you right here sitting in the pews see your life changed. When your life is changed, people will notice. When your life is different, people will notice. And when they see changed lives, it will draw them to the gospel. That's why you've got to have the practicing the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. Because when you're practicing the word of God and God does a great work in a life and your life is changed, people will come to you and then you proclaim the word of God. That's how people come to know Christ as Savior. 
But you see, the greatest witnessing tool I believe we have is ourselves, our lives. If we ever want to get serious and take this book that we defend so mightily and say we believe it's in error and we believe it's God's word and we hope people come to know Christ, let me give you a scoop. Live it. Live this word. And when you live this word and apply this word and say Christ will be first in my life and I'm going to allow the power of his Holy Spirit to control me and move me, when we do that, all of us, that's changed lives. That's when the community sits up. That's when the people at work sit up. That's when the people at school began to sit up and they look and they began to notice and they said, there's something different about that. You know, I've told you the story a bunch of times about how my roommate in college in the fraternity, Mike Wayman, was as lost as could be and was as rough as could be. And he goes off and he makes a decision for Christ and he comes back. And when he came back, the talk among the fraternity brothers was there's something different about him. And that was it. And he became a magnet for people to come in and sit down and talk to him. And he said, Mac, something is different. He was able to share what Jesus had done in his heart. It's changed lives that will always draw attention. So don't sit around praying, oh, God, make some incredible miracle happen. Your life is the miracle. Your life is the miracle. Just live that life. Practice God's word and then be willing to proclaim it. There's a passage The second thing is people will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is one of the responses. When the power of the Holy Spirit is manifested, I tell you, people will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everybody won't make this decision, but some people will. And the power is in the gospel. I want you to say this verse together. You ready? It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's say this together. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, this is the power for salvation. The gospel. It's the gospel. And when people hear the gospel, they will make a decision. Now, last thing. Reflections. First step, reflections. As I studied this passage, the verse that kept coming back to me was uh, verse 10. And look at verse 10. Paul is talking to um, Elimus, the magician. And at the very end of it, he says, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That word means perverted. You're perverting the gospel. And what would happen is every time Paul would try to talk to Sergius, this guy was trying to divert him and trying not to get the message to him. Now, I think part of that reason is, is job security. Because he knew that if Sergius comes to receive Christ, he doesn't need a magician on his staff. And so he's constantly diverting. He says, you're taking the straight path of Christ and of the Lord, and you are making it a crooked path. Okay? Now, I thought about this last night, David Hicks, and I was going to call you, and then I said, I didn't know if I'm going to do it, but I think I've, I don't have the time, but I'm going to do it, okay? Uh, because it's going to stay with you if we do this. David, is there a way that you can put a counter up on the screen, like a two-minute, like a countdown two-minute? I'll give you a minute to do that, okay? And, uh, and, and think about that. All right, now over here, Chris Whitten. Chris, I want you to stand right over there by that flag. Is that okay? You got that? You're a big physical boy. Stand right over there, all right? All right. Okay, Chris. You're, you're right there. Hey, Chris going to be right there. Jake, come over here. 
okay, Jacob, no, I can count on you. <laughs> it's like a talk show. We say, you have not been briefed on what we're going to talk about today. Is that correct? All right, do you have a Bible with you? Anybody there? Got, okay, I want you to take a Bible with you. Okay, Jake, we're going to be right over here. Okay, Jake, you up here? Okay, you got Chris right there. Okay, let me ask you a question. The shortest uh, distance between two points is what? Straight line. Okay, so um, let's see. Hey, David, are we going to be able to do that two-minute counter? What do they think, Zach? Think they can, think he can do that? Whoa, hey, not yet. Hey, he's good. He's good. I did say two minutes, not a minute 59, but that's all right. All right, here we go. All right, all right. Okay, two minutes, two minutes. Now, what we're going to do is you've got the gospel, right? And we're going to get the gospel to Chris, and we got two minutes to get the gospel to him. Do you think that's very difficult? I don't think so either. Now, the best way to go a straight line. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start the counter, but you just got to follow me. Is that okay? All right, let's follow me. All right, you start the counter. You ready, David? You can start it now. Okay, let's go. Well, hold it. Have you ever met anybody in the military? Come up here for just a second. Come over here. Now, come on. I don't know if you've ever shaken hands uh, with a, a woman in a uniform. Look at this. Uh, if you introduce yourself. You... Hey, Rebecca. Hey, it's great to see y'all. Wow, thank you. Y'all are really singing good. Uh, is that the first time you ever met someone like that in the military? Okay. Are y'all altos over here? Whoa, sopranos. Yeah, they're always cocky, aren't they? All right. Okay. Um, okay. So, those sopranos, they're something. Okay. Now, we got uh, Chris over here, and I know we want to uh, get with him over there. But you know, when you sit out here, really, my favorite place is right in this area, right in here. You doing all right? I'd take the red eight, put it on the black nine, move your king. Okay? Yeah, it's a big good. Okay. Um, and uh, what I would do is, uh, let's go through here, okay? Excuse me, guys. This is really a good, a good spot because these guys have got a good view of everything. Excuse us. Excuse us over here. We don't mean to step on you. Don't want to step on your foot. Y'all doing all right? This is good. Have you met Jake? Y'all know Jake? He's a good guy. Y'all need to, to meet him. He's a, he's a fine guy. Because, see, from here, you've got a really, I think, a pretty cool cool view of things over there. But, we, hey, we got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. We're going get, to uh, get to him over here, over here. But hold it, hold on. Did you see Sports Center last night? You got to look at this. They did that top ten countdown, that dunk LeBron made. Incredible. Okay, I want you to look at this right here. Look at that. Okay, it comes right over here. Right here. Booyah! Was that something? Hold on. You got to see it again, though. Let's go back one more time. Oh, yeah, that is powerful stuff, isn't it? That is really, really good. Okay, all right, let's come back. Oh, yeah, we got all, all kind of time. If we get beyond two minutes, you got to go sit down on there. But, you know, we've got some folks over here that, uh, there are, y'all are with some of the military families over here. So I don't know if you've ever met someone who's been in a military family, but we're thankful for them, and we appreciate them and the great uh, sacrifice that they and their kin. Let's everybody give a hand for, for them, and that is good stuff. All right, good. All right, let's go. Let's go, Jack. Let's get back over here. And we'll go get, where's Chris? Man, I can't believe the time went. Okay, going back to your seat, Jay. Give him a big hand over here. You know what happened? You know what just happened? Jake got diverted. We took a crooked path to get what could have been a straight path. And yet most of us would say, well, it wouldn't really matter because Chris will always be there ready to hear the gospel, but he won't. And it's not just a life and death thing to say, oh, I guess Chris, you know, uh, uh, died over an illness or a a car wreck. Sure, that can happen. Let me tell you what's even scarier. 
You can sit in a worship service and God's Spirit's beginning to speak to someone's heart. And he's taking that straight path. And even in a service like this, you can be that crooked path. Because as God is speaking to them, then all of a sudden, you're talking to the person next to you. Then all of a sudden, you've got uh, some uh, flapping birds game going on, or you're, you're working out your bracket for, uh, for March Madness. And, and they look over there, and all of a sudden, they're diverted for just that moment, and all of a sudden, the Spirit's gone. It means we do an invitation as we stand up in just a moment, get ready to sing, and, and someone, God's speaking to someone's heart, and he's thinking about it, and all of a sudden you get up and walk out, and you're scooting across the aisle, and you leave. It's broken. It's gone. It could be that someone's being convicted, and all of a sudden they look at your life, and your life is not really matching up with all the things they're hearing about Scripture, and then they say, you know, that's, I don't think that's, that's really what I want. And what we're doing is we're making the paths that should be straight, we're making them crooked. And so you don't have to be a false prophet to do this. You can be a Southern Baptist believer, a member of Shades Mountain Baptist Church, and you can be making the straight paths of the Lord crooked. That's what I want you to reflect on today. If you're not a believer, my prayer is that today would be a day when you'd receive Christ as Savior. If you are one, I want you to reflect on there. Am I making straight the paths of the Lord? Lord, use me. I want to practice your word. I want to proclaim your word. And when we do that, then the power of God will be manifested. And when the power of God's manifested, we will see people come to know Christ as Savior. Let me ask you to stand. And as you stand, we're going to prayer for our time of invitation. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. After I finish our prayer then uh, it will be our time to make a response. And that is to respond to whatever you feel God has placed on your heart. Maybe to join this church, come to know Christ as Savior. Maybe take the hands of one of our staff members and pray with them. But we invite you to make that response. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of the gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for his life, his death, his resurrection, and the offer of salvation that he gives each one of us. And I pray now in this service that your Holy Spirit would move and speak to our hearts and help us to respond as you lead us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.